You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 292. My name is Andy. Do I ever say that when I start the show? Do you think that's important? Do you think new listeners, when they tune in, if I don't say what my name is, they get confused? Because, I mean, today they're going to be really confused because today is a listener feedback episode or feedback, all right? So today we're going to be reading uh, listener mail. A bunch of you sent in letters. We're going to read those. Some of you sent in voicemail. We're going to listen to those. A few people are going to pop in and help me answer some of these questions. So we're going to have a good time. So how about this? Let's start off the show, listen to some tunes, and then we'll get into the mail sack. I want to listen to this one from Glowline. Glowline. It's a cool song. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We have a new patron this week, Root Node. New $5 patron, Root Node. That sounds like some kind of computer thing. What is a Root Node? According to Technopedia, the Root Node is either the topmost or bottom node in a tree data structure, depending on how the tree is represented visually. The Root Node may be considered the top if the visual representation is top-down, or the bottom if it is bottom-up. The analogy is that the tree starts at the roots and then goes up to its crown. So the first node is considered the root. Well, uh, thank you very much, Root Node. I don't actually understand what I just read, but uh, you are now in the $5 club, so thank you so much for supporting the show. You're cool. And now, listen to this. This is Glowline with Your Hero.
right, and that was Your Hero by Glowline. That's a cool song, and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. For some reason, Patreon is notifying me that Big Baby D has pledged 926, but you were already a patron, right? Did you update your support? Because usually if you upgrade your support, sorry, uh, it tells me they upgraded, but this just says you pledged, so did you disappear and come back? Have I not been paying attention? Anyways, welcome back, Big Baby D, if that's what happened. Thanks for supporting the show, so let's read some emails. Be faithful listeners writing to the show, hoping that your note gets picked from the This is from Mike Carter. Dear Andy, Podlord, and bringer of all things synth. Greetings from Melbourne, Australia, voted the most livable city in the world seven years straight until 2019. I want to congratulate you on creating an absolutely amazing podcast, a legacy, a beacon of light in a dark and disappointing world. I look forward to when each episode comes out, and I also actually like that on occasion it comes later than expected. It makes for a nice surprise. <laughs> That's a lovely way of putting it. Usually it's just summertime when my schedule is a little messed up just because, you know, we're in a different place and the family's all doing stuff. And so it's harder for me to keep the schedule. But usually during the school year, everything runs like clockwork. But I, but I'm happy you found a way to spin <laughs> me being late with episodes as a positive. I also wanted to share the story of how I came across your podcast. Although for many years I'd produced electronic music myself, it wasn't until 2016 that I purchased purchased my first actual hardware synthesizer. Once I purchased it, I went on a quest for all things synthesizer-related. Blogs, YouTube channels, Facebook groups, subreddits, and yes, podcasts. I went to Pocket Casts, the app I use on my phone, and searched synth, synthesizer, etc. One of the results that came up, as well as a bunch of other podcasts, was Beyond Synth. When I was ready, I loaded up an episode in preparation to hear all sorts of chat and information about synthesizers. Instead, what I got was a Canadian man with an amazing radio voice, low self-esteem, and a whole lot of something called synthwave. <laughs> To be honest, at first I obviously was quite confused, as I've never heard of Synthwave and a little dissatisfied at the amount of synthesizer discussion. <laughs> but due to the nature of my boring, repetitive day job, I kept my headphones inserted into my ears and persisted. I was firstly quite intrigued and impressed at how invested and serious people took something I'd never heard of before. It was all new and interesting to me, like discovering a new world. For the first few months, I actually skipped most of the music and only listened only for the interviews, chatting and banter. The laid-back and casual approach to the format of the podcast became quite comforting, like a warm hug. It was like sitting in a room amongst friends and silently listening to their conversation. Now I listen to the podcast in its entirety and really enjoy the music. I also discovered that in order to become a Synthwave fan, I needed to start creating my own Synthwave music. So I did. Perhaps one day, if I'm proud enough of something, I'll send it to you and perhaps you might play it on your show. But that's enough about me. I just want you to keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. It has helped me through some tough times and some mind-numbing shifts at work. I hope that one day I can help support the podcast financially. Keep on trucking, Andy, you magnificent bastard. Kind regards, Mike Carter slash River Avenue. Is that your uh, your synthwave alias? Well, listen, man, thanks. Uh, thanks, Mike Carter, for the, uh, the lovely letter. And uh, it's always nice to hear that uh, something you make is enjoyed by people 
and keep on making tunes, man. It's uh, it's a good thing to do, and uh, the more you do it, the better you'll get. That's the exciting thing. But look, thanks for the letter, dude. You're a cool guy. Mike Carter, you're a cool guy. Keep listening. Lots of exciting things ahead. I don't know what I'm doing now. Let's listen to another song. How about that? And then we'll, uh, we'll read some more letters. I got a cool one here from Johnny Rehab, which is brought to you by the Kings of the Pattersons, the most righteous of Patreon supporters, because you can support the show at patreon.com slash beyondsynth, like the awesome Chris Dance and Robert D. Bishop and Mike Shima. I call them kings because they donate lots of money, and uh, they're cool. And uh, I hope... You like this track. This is Johnny Rehab with Dynamic Vibes.
And that was Dynamic Vibes from Johnny Rehab. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the Kroner Club, we got Emil and Hampus ML and Jose Arbello, the king of hell. And I got a letter here from Pedro Moreno Garcia. Is that how you say your name? Is it Moreno? Moreno? M-O-R-E-N-O. Pedro Moreno. Moreno Garcia? I'm going to call you Pedro. You tell me which one it was. Is it number one, Moreno? Number two, Moreno? Number three, Moreno? Or none of the above. Anyways, Pedro says, I'm from Brazil, and I'm a big fan of your show. In a recent episode, I think it was 289, you spoke about how it takes you a little longer than most people to read the time from an analog clock. I have the exact same challenge, but it's always been an issue for me. You see, I always knew how to tell time and read an analog clock because of school, but I just simply did not have any analog clocks or watches around when I was growing up, as I'm an 80s baby and everything was already digital. When I became an adult, suddenly this became a problem, as all office clocks are analog and digital watches were simply not cool anymore, and I was teased a lot for taking forever to read the time. I tried forcing myself to wear analog watches, even bought analog wall clocks, for my apartment. Nothing ever worked and I just never stopped feeling bad about it. I was so surprised to hear someone talk about having the same issue so candidly and was so happy to learn I'm not the only one. I'm glad you don't seem to have a hang-up about it. I just wanted to say thank you for being so open and indirectly helping me feel a little better about myself. Take care, Pedro. Well, listen, man, I just have a problem with steps or procedures in life that don't make sense or that aren't intuitive. It's the same problem I have with chopsticks. (laughs) Because, like, there's an old uh, Seinfeld bit about this where he's talking about chopsticks, and he's like, you know they've seen the fork, right? And to me, analog clocks are just a weird, unnecessary hurdle to getting information. Because it's not precise. You have to think. Because even if you're, like, good at reading analog clocks... You still have to look at the clock and then see where the thing is pointing and then go, oh, what line is it pointing at? And then, you know, figure things out. And some clocks don't have all the little one minute marker lines. And so you basically have to kind of guess where you're like, okay, well, it's in between fucking eight and nine. So that means it's after 840, but before 845. So it's probably 843, I guess, if it's kind of in the middle of those lines. Like that to me is an annoying and pointless hurdle than if you just have a digital clock that just tells you the exact time to the second, right? Because you can look up at a digital clock and it can literally be like 8.45 and 46 seconds and tell you the day and tell you the month, a.m. and p.m. Like, it's just, to me, analog clocks are stupid. I don't care, man. So bring the digital watch back and make sure it's in style so you shouldn't feel bad about it because it's a dumb fucking thing. Just like I have no shame <laughs> about the fact that I cannot use chopsticks. Whenever I go and eat Chinese food with people and I'm, I'm with a crowd of people who are like, they all eating with the chopsticks and I have no fucking shame and going like, can I have a fork and a spoon? Like, I don't care. Like, I get that there's people who are good with the chopsticks, But the fact that it's a skill, like you have to be good with the chopsticks, right? You have to learn to use chopsticks. You don't have to learn to use a fork or a spoon, right? It's just you fucking shovel the food in. And this is a thing I've always noticed, and I think it is a thing with Western people, like Westerners, is that there's this point of pride when you know how to use chopsticks, like you're fucking more worldly than the other people. Just like, oh, you don't know how to use chopsticks? Oh, I know how to use chopsticks. Like, fuck you, man. 
Kiss my ass. Now, to be very clear here, I'm not upset at people who are good at using chopsticks or who prefer to use chopsticks. I'm just saying, just like the analog clock thing, it is this weird point of, like, shame. Like, you don't know how to use the chopsticks? You know, it's, like, fucking stupid. I guess I've just always been, like, sort of annoyed at unnecessary impediments. And to me, an analog clock is an unnecessary impediment to knowing what time it is. If we were doing math and someone asked you a question and they fucking handed you an abacus... I'd be like, fuck you. What the fuck are you doing? Like, we have calculators in our phones. Why are you handing me an abacus? All right? That, to me, is what an analog... An analog clock is a fucking abacus. All right? Anyways, thanks for your letter, Pedro. (laughs) You're a cool guy. Don't let anyone tell you different. All right? I just love that there's people in this world who argue this passionately about political issues and serious topics. And to me, like, the thing that always gets gets me riled up are fucking... (laughs) analog clocks and shitty remakes of movies and like <laughs> anyway uh, you have a lovely day pedro you're a cool guy let's listen to a song here is a cool one from zenith volt and it's brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters mike erdahl the donation of the beast plus 50 tim carlton the golden boner and jacob wick my semi-sonic friend now check this out this is zenith volt with supercomputer
right, that was Zenith Volt with Supercomputer. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's City Hunter, the coolest guy in town. And Hugh Hefner in the 2666 Club. Wait, Hugh Hefner, did you write in a letter? Hold on. We're reading letters today, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's right. You wrote me... (laughs) Okay, this was a sequence of short letters Hugh Hefner wrote me like months ago. So randomly one day Hugh Hefner writes and says, For me, growing up, the synthesizer was the sound of the future. And now, as I grow older, it continues to have that impression on me, which gives it a unique superposition in my life. So I always enjoy random messages like that. And then she wrote me back a little while later saying, Andy, you should do Beyond Synth Burgers. Okay, bye. And then I told her, I did eat some Beyond Meat Burgers. And then she said, so did we, six mil and myself. They were tasty. I used bacon fat to cook them and toasted some brioche, that's French, buns. I tend to keep five types of pickles on hand. I'm pickle rich. And so I chose the filled pickles with jalapeno honey mustard are you hungry yet and then she said dill pickles not filled pickles did i read filled pickles i guess i did uh, yeah that sounds great you know i did i tried a beyond meat and it is definitely the closest thing of all of the meat substitute foods i've tried it's still not there yet it doesn't quite fry up like meat but i made a burger and it was fine You know, I mean, because obviously the other stuff was just gross. They're all like, it's bean patties. And then you eat it and it's like, yeah, I'm eating a bean patty. Like, this doesn't taste like meat. It doesn't have the the texture or anything. And uh, I found Beyond Meat was pretty close. It smelled kind of like dog food. Which is sort of a success story, really, because since they're making it by, like, figuring out what meat is on, like, a uh, cellular level and trying to build it in a lab using, like, uh, vegetable proteins and stuff, it's pretty amazing that they made a product that, even though it smells like dog food, dog food is still a meat product, right? So I remember opening it up going, okay, this is weird, but that's pretty impressive that they've gotten this far. But I still think they have a ways to go. But so far, it's the closest thing. Although, you know what? I'm still holding out for the cultured meat. Basically, they are growing meat. They take, like, a chicken cell, and then they basically, like, ferment it in, like, a thing, and it grows into, like, just a blob of chicken, but it's, like, actual chicken, which then you can turn into chicken strips and nuggets and stuff, and it's not, like, fake meat. It is real meat that is grown from a cell a chicken cell, but then no real chicken actually ends up uh, getting murdered. Unless, of course, the process of extracting the cell murders that chicken. But then, of course, they, they can extract uh, so many cells, right? So even if one chicken has to die, that's still a lot better than the, the factory farming model where millions of these fucking animals are uh, treated rather poorly. And then that's where the next fucking pandemic's gonna come from. And everybody fucking knows it, but no one does anything. That's why I really do want to go to a meatless diet or at least you know, reducing the amount of meat. Like, I still don't have a problem with eating meat. Like, I don't have actually really a moral problem with it, and I love the taste of it, but obviously I don't think anyone likes the idea of factory farming, especially when you see it. Like, once you see it, it's like, oh my god, this is so horrible, but meat tastes so good. And so it's the the hardest thing, is, like, trying to wrestle with that. So I'm on board. If scientists can make meat that tastes like meat and has the texture of meat and an animal didn't die or get tortured to make it. Like, I don't mind hunting, and I don't mind, like, a meat industry. It's just the factory farming part of it that sucks because it's not very good. It's not very nice. <laughs> like, it's just, it's it's horrible what the animals go through. And 
it's also a problem because of all the um, antibiotics and shit they have to give the animals because they're in such close proximity to each other that they're just living in filth and so they need to be pumped with antibiotics just to not get sick those antibiotics then get passed into the food that we eat which is going to do two problems it's going to create antibiotic resistant uh, bacteria and stuff which is going to fuck us up and that's usually all the pandemics always come from uh, animal to human transfer and it's usually in these cases where there's just a ton of animals living in their own filth and there's you know different ways that can happen so scientists get on it and make some more fucking meat and let's listen to a song and by the way I know it sounds like I'm on a high horse here I haven't managed to do this I still eat meat every meal okay I just feel really bad about it (laughs) so don't think I'm uh, preaching or whatever like I'm just telling you I have no personal qualms with eating fucking science beef, all right? And neither should you. I've never been one of those people that's like, I need to know that the animal died and I can feel its soul in the blood or whatever. Like, I don't need that, all right? If a scientist can make me a fucking lab steak, I will eat that lab steak. And now we will listen to a song. So how about we check out this one from Zenin? It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club. We got Clint Dowling, a star apart. Alex Seligson, Blake Peterson, Eurobeat intensifies, and Honeybeard. And check this out. This is Zenon with Hilt.
And that was Zenon with the track Hilt. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Jimmy the Hut, Johnny Five, Kempson, Kenjuru, and Mr. Magoo Samurai in the $25 Club. And let's keep reading letters here. So this is a message from Slade. He says, hey, Andy, while I was listening to one of your episodes, I was wondering if you still take music requests from patrons. If so, would you put the one featuring quails? It is quails, right? That's right. Would you put the one featuring quails from Jordan F? Moreover, it would be awesome if you interview him someday. His 2020 album Memory Collision is a masterpiece and features great synthwave artists like Nina and Griff. Jordan F also released a small EP called Eurowave. Thanks for reading and keep up doing your great show. Well, thank you, Slade. So uh, how do you feel about that, Jordan F? Oh, I think that sounds like a great idea. Let's play the one with quails and thanks for that comment i really appreciate the support do you agree that memory collision is a masterpiece oh uh, i mean i'm, I'm I, i'll take that I'll, I'll take that one for sure no it's a, i'm really proud of the record it took me forever to actually finish that one and like the person wrote in there's a lot of collaborations on it and i just wanted it to be a little bit different break away from sort of the instrumental stuff that i usually make but yeah no i really enjoyed making them. i put a lot of effort into the graphics and the visual story behind that so there was a lot of time trying to build that up and i think it yeah i think it paid off now according to slade you also uh released uh, an ep recently called eurowave is that true yeah i released eurowave it's a a four track ep that i dropped in uh may so just in time for the 
European summer and that EP is just a bit of fun. I didn't really overthink it too much. Like to contrast to most of my releases, I'll overthink everything. But this one was just, you know, four instrumentals, just a bit of fun, a bit of experimentation with some more French house um, influence. And it was actually inspired by my 2019 Yeah, European summer vacation. So, you know, because we're all in lockdown at the moment, I was reminiscing (laughs) about, you know, overseas and those things felt like a lifetime ago. So that was really um, the inspiration for the whole track and EP. Well, listen, man, you should uh, come on the show in a few months and we'll do a we'll do a proper Jordan F episode. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. In the meantime, I guess we'll play the track because Slade, I do still take requests from patrons. Just nobody ever does them. So uh, let's listen to, well, do you have anything to say about the one featuring quails before we play it? Well, I originally had quails on one of my first or or my second album timelines. And, you know, we just had a really good, um, you know, connection with writing music together. And she's Australian as well. So it was easy to work with a collaboration and she just has an amazing voice. So yeah, this song's just building off her sort of lighthearted, upbeat vocals and making something a bit more playful. Awesome, man. Well, let's listen to it. Uh, and before we do that, I just want to shout out some awesome Beyond Synth patrons. In the $25 club, we got Neverman, Newmark, Restless Nights, and Techno Ben. And I hope you dig this. And uh, thank you, Jordan F., for joining me. Now let's listen to Jordan F. featuring Quails with The One.
and that was Jordan F. with the track The One featuring Quails. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Forged in Neon with the 2049. And in the $20 Club, we got Joshua Winter and Chatterack. And uh, I got a voicemail here, so let's listen to this one. This is from uh, Russ Pentland. Hello, Andy. This is Ross from Melbourne, Australia. Previous guest listener from uh, Judge Bitch episode, I believe I was, giving you some much-requested listener audio. So, two things. Uh, first, I'll talk about a uh, comment on the Mass Effect series. I think you referred to this in a much earlier episode, and I think multiple endings can work. I think the issue with Mass Effect was that it basically came down to an ultimate climax not reflecting on any of the choices you made up to that point. So my thing would be, you can have multiple endings or outcomes, but they have to be set from, say, the beginning of the final mission rather than the very, very end. It feels cheap when video games do multiple endings in that way. Mass Effect's not the only game of that. I haven't played Mass Effect in years, but I do hold fond memories for the series, and it's a very rich universe. And, yeah, I feel a bit bad having rushed through the third game. But, yeah, that's my thing. I would love to play Mass Effect uh, again. I never actually played Andromeda. I don't know whether that's in the Steam Complete Edition. Secondly, I'm intrigued by the clips of David Lynch's work. And you've mentioned, you've discussed it time and time again with certain artists, such as uh, Wojciech Goldewski. And I'd like to know more about his artistic style. Besides the Twin Peaks series, which of his films would you recommend as a starting point? Uh, that's all I've got. Thanks for the show and for being a cool guy. All right. Well, thanks for the message, Ross. So I will say this, man. Upon playing Mass Effect again, like I said a few weeks ago, this time the experience of Mass Effect 3 was like night and day. It was like a completely different game to me. And I appreciate what you're saying. And I've thought a lot about this, the whole multiple endings thing. I will say that... Understanding the story a bit better, because the first time I did rush through Mass Effect 3 like you did, the endings aren't quite as random as I remembered them being. But I was thinking about this, because the Deus Ex games are exactly the same, where you play a whole game, you know, you play as a stealth, or you play action, whatever playstyle you like, and at the end of the game, you just walk into a room and they say, pick from one of four endings. And we have this instinct to say, It's silly because the endings don't have anything to do necessarily with the choices you made during the game. But also, what would an ending look like if it was based on the choices you made in the game? I mean, essentially, if there is a big story... So Mass Effect has a main story, right? So let's say you're playing a game and the story is you have to stop the bad guy from blowing up this boat, right? Like, that's the story. So no matter what friends you make along the way, no matter what choices you make, no matter how you played, it's still going to lead to a point where you either stop him from blowing up the boat or you don't, and the boat blows up, right? And really, those two choices have nothing to do with how you play the game, But eventually, the story leads to a point where it's leading to the end of a story. It just made me think, what would an ending look like that was based on all your choices? Because who cares what your choices are? If all your choices led to that moment where you got to stop the boat from blowing up, there is only, like, two endings. I'm not sure 
if I feel as strongly about that critique anymore. Because in the case of Mass Effect, it's a universe-affecting problem. So it's not like you can do random things, play the story so differently that you just end up in another part of the universe because the story involves the entire universe getting attacked by these things. And so eventually the story has to come to a point where you either defeat them or you don't, regardless of what choices you made, right? Anyway, food for thought. And about uh, David Lynch, my personal favorites are... Wild at Heart, Lost Highway, Eraserhead, and uh, Mulholland Drive has like the best jump scare in fucking movie history. If you're familiar with David Lynch from Twin Peaks, just know that the reason that show was so popular was it was David Lynch, but not at full David Lynch weirdness, right? Like even though that show is weird and very different than other shows on TV, it's still sort of like a softened David Lynch that's easier for uh, mass consumption. Like if you want full fucking weird David Lynch, actually to be honest with you, season three of Twin Peaks might be David Lynch at 100% David Lynch. When you go into David Lynch, think of the movies more in terms of how they feel, right? David Lynch is a director that makes movies that feel like dreams. And there is a logic to them, but they're not like watching a normal movie. And so I think the people who don't get David Lynch, I think they're just expecting a more straightforward narrative. They want to know what's going on. And David Lynch is really about just creating that mood of this dreamlike atmosphere where the whole thing just feels surreal. And so I prefer the weirder ones, which is why, for example... I'm not as fond of Blue Velvet as everybody else is because I feel like that one's just more normal. And I think that's why it's more popular is because it sort of has the same kind of accessibility as Twin Peaks has, whereas Lost Highway is just fucking bonkers. I mean, Wild at Heart does have a straightforward story, but that movie has some just insane characters. And Willem Dafoe is amazing in Wild at Heart. And one of my favorite things uh, in my favorite David Lynch films is there's always one out-of-nowhere graphic death scene that just catches you off guard, and oftentimes they're kind of funny because they're so startling that you're just like, what the hell? And fucking Wild at Heart has maybe the funniest one of all time. Like, it's amazing. But he's definitely a director, like, you just gotta be in the zone, and you gotta be feeling the mood. You don't have to make sense of it. And in fact, I don't make sense of his movies. I've never even tried to think about what they mean. I just sort of enjoy the atmosphere and the mood, the weird performances that he gets out of people. And that's what I dig about David Lynch. He's got a very distinctive, weird, creepy, dreamlike style that also has a sense of humor. For example, I actually find Eraserhead really funny. Now, if you watch Eraserhead, you you could probably watch that whole movie just stone-faced and go like, how the hell does Andy find this funny? I just find it funny because of, it's almost like the nerve that David Lynch has to just make the weirdest fucking thing. And then you're just watching it and you're just like, what a fucking weirdo. <laughs> like, what's he doing? But it's just so different and that's what I like. You know, I, I like watching movies from directors that really have like a distinctive style and that's his. So that's what I would say, man. Watch... Uh, Wild at Heart, Lost Highway, uh, Eraserhead, Mulholland Drive. I know people really like Blue Velvet, so I guess put it on the list. But my personal favorite is probably Wild at Heart and Lost Highway. Those two tied. All right, well, let's listen to a song, man. Uh, here's a cool one from Arcade Lost. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Waylon Kasky Geospatial with the 1988 and the 1986 Club COVID-1986. And the Buchelman sisters, Rachel and Sarah with the 1985. And this is Arcade Arcade Lost with Emily.
All right, and that was Emily by Arcade Lost. That's a cool one. That was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Prophet of Jupiter with the 15 and the 1313 Club. There's Mads, Baron Christensen, and Skywolf. And we're just reading listener mail this week, and we've got a few uh, audio calls as well. And I would just like to say this week, this is just going to be a two-hour show. So if there's any more letters and stuff to read by the time I'm done, then uh, we'll just do this again next week, man, because a lot of you wrote in letters and sent in voice messages. So that is uh, cool. And this wasn't exactly a listener message. But uh, Dennis LaFunk posted this in the Discord, the Beyond Synth Discord, and he was retweeting some guy who said, uh, Kids these days have no idea what it was like to play Goldeneye with that one motherfucker who spent all his time watching everyone else on the split screen. And I gotta say something about this, because a lot of people bring this up, and they talk about screen cheating. Like, it's actually a phrase to screen cheat, meaning when you're playing a four-player split screen game, if you look at the other player's screen, you're cheating. And this always annoyed me because you're not cheating unless you have an advantage over other players that they don't have over you. That's the definition of cheating. So looking at other people's screen, to me, was never cheating because they can look at my screen. When I play Golden, I love looking at other people's screens because it saves time, right? You've got the um, radar in the corner, but it's also like if you're having like a fight with a bunch of people and you just go, where is the other player? Instead of wandering around the level, you just like look over like, oh, he's in that room or whatever. And it changes your strategies. You use the tools that are available to you. I've always felt this. And so to me, if everyone has access to the same tools, it's not cheating. So I am officially uh, declaring that screen cheating is not a thing. Because if you aren't capable of doing it yourself, then that just means you lack the skill. You know, you just fucking, where's the other player? Like Your, your eyeball shifts over, oh, he's in the bathroom, okay. And then you just fucking head to that area of the map. Like, it's not, it's not crazy, all right? So you tell him from me. Screen cheating is not a thing. All right, and I got a voice message here from Glenn Maine, who has actually just produced a little piece of uh, audio content that features a flashback to the episode that he was on when he talked about uh, getting his arm ripped off, and, uh, and then he attached a song at the end of it. So I think this was Glenn Maine's sneaky way of getting me to play his track. But uh, hey, I'm not going to say no to uh, someone else producing uh, five minutes of the show for me. So here is Glenn Maine. Hello, I'm Glenn Main, and the reason my voice is so fucked up today is because I had a gig yesterday. I've been having gigs actually all summer, singing 80s stuff and playing 80s music in piano bars. Anyway, if you want to know more about me, check out episode number 217 from Beyoncé. And here is a small, small outtake from that episode. Why did you start getting into music in the first place? Well, that was actually uh, an accident. <laughs> Because at the age of five, I, uh, I cut my arm off, actually. And, uh, and the doctor said to me that you had to practice the piano for like two, uh, two hours a day to get your uh, feelings back in the fingers. Wait, oh, oh, so, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, this, this, yeah. this might be an error in translation. What? You, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> you mean you cut your arm off? My arm fell off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was I crashed into a, a door with a window inside, and uh, I'm. Up. Yeah, that's right. If you want to know more about me, my arm, my music, and everything, 
check out that episode number 217 anyway here is a song from me called isolation once more and this song is brought to you by the awesome radio host Andy Last Yeah. 
right, and that was Glenn Main with the track Isolation Once More. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Retro Serenade, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Celia Lane. All right, so I got another letter here from Waylon Kasky Geospatial. All right, and he says, uh, Hi, Andy, wanted to let you know that I completed my Army training at Fort Rucker, Alabama, and now a warrant officer in the U.S. Army. It was a long five weeks, which felt more like several months. The Ruck March went well. You remember this Ruck March, Marco? Of course I do, very well. Uh, He completed the 10K in just under 91 minutes. The route was on one of the main roads with slight hills. The trick to the Ruck was to run down the hills and walk up. Due to the over 90% humidity, my uniform and gear was soaked by the end of the Ruck. He just keeps calling it the Ruck. (laughs) The hardest part was trying to hold on the slippery training rifle. Overall, the ruck march, land navigation, and other physical training weren't too bad. More of the memorable parts of the course compared Mm -hmm. to the academics. On my drive back to Texas, it was great to line up several episodes of your podcast I had missed. Really enjoyed hearing your quick chat with Marco. Love y'all's banter. Will forever think of Botox and rucksacks in a different way. What do we... Oh, that's right. We talked about fucking Scrotox in that episode. (laughs) Why does that not surprise me? (laughs) So random. Really appreciated the weekly mention of my ruck march which shows how much you appreciate your patreons true. glad to be back in the real world we'll continue tuning into your podcasts for great music fun interviews and plenty of laughs thanks kyle <laughs> well thank you Waylon Kasky geospatial so uh i thought i would have marco join again i'm making marco the official uh <laughs> whenever we bring up ruck marches you just have to appear out of thin air well he's a lot fitter than me i could tell you that how do you feel about do you think that you would uh, find it difficult to hold on to the slippery rifle i think so that'd probably be the hardest part you know i mean i never really i only think i've ever hold a, held a rifle once before and they're freaking heavy i didn't realize they'd be so goddamn heavy <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I was like, what the hell? They, I think the only time I ever held a gun was when I was at, uh, funny enough, was at, uh, remember Steve Gilson, um, yep. Silent Gloves? Project Friday. Yeah, Project Friday. I sat in on one of his shows and he, he <laughs> we had a couple of drinks and he just walks in the room here. He just brings in a gun out of nowhere. It's like, whoa, dude, <laughs> fucking hell. It's this fucking big, I don't know, man. It's like this real state-of-the-art fucking uh, automatic rifle or something. It was like, anyway, sorry, that's another story. But the man, this thing was heavy. It's interesting because I'm not really like a gun guy. Like, I love violent video games and I like the idea of target practice and I I love playing with toy guns, Mm. but I've never really been into like real guns. No, no. And so I've never really experienced like the kick of an actual gun. Yeah. Because we're so used to watching movies where they just like Mm. hold handguns straight and like it doesn't move when they fire and I guess they really like pack a punch. Yeah, you got to watch where you put it because you can fucking dislocate your shoulder apparently. Not that I know anything about guns, but that's, you know, what. Here, <laughs> <laughs> a podcast about two guys who've never fired a gun talking about guns. That's, that's what the listeners want to hear. Carrying your rucksack, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, the point is this: uh, Whalen Kasky, geospatial. You're a cool guy. Uh, thanks for reporting in, and I'm glad you completed your ruck march at Fort Rucker. Uh, is that anything? Is that a coincidence that a ruck march at Fort Rucker, or is that just you think it's named after Fort Rucker? Sounds like it. Could be. <laughs> There you go. Something, <laughs> something else to, for, for Kyle to write in on. Something else to contemplate. Let us know what you think in the comments yeah. down below. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Anyways, keep on being a cool guy, and uh, let's uh, listen to a tune. So I got a cool one here, a nice dreamy synth track from VIQ. It's called Orbit, and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $10 Club, Fraser Davidson, Albion Algorithm, Andrew Bennon, Barry007, and Blonde John. This is Orbit by VIQ. That was VIQ with the track Orbit. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $10 Club, Energon Cubes, Ivan, Jacob Pringle, John Masari, Knight of Ducks, and Kudzust. All right, and we got a, a voicemail here. Let's listen to this one. This is from Jacob Pringle. Hey, Andy. Pringle here. 
thanks for playing some She. Haven't kept up with them, but there was a period where I listened to the Orion album on repeat. I first heard She on the Salty Bet Twitch channel, only place I've ever seen Luke Skywalker fight Megatron. I know you enjoy your 2D fighters, so it might be interesting for you to check out Mugen if you haven't yet. Thanks for introducing me to so much cool music. Alright, well thanks for the message, Jacob Pringle. So you just call yourself Pringle then? Just straight up Pringle, I like that. Have I played... Mugen, yes I have. In fact, there's an awesome Mortal Kombat Mugen game. I don't know if you say, is it, do people say Mugen or Mugen? M-U-G-E-N. And it's a fighting game engine where people can sort of customize and make their own fighting games. And I played a bunch of the Mortal Kombat ones because there's people who basically take the old sprites from all the old Mortal Kombat games and put them together in one game, but also add new characters. And there is this one that is, <laughs> it's amazing because there's like a hundred characters in there now or something and they're just taking sprites from like all these old games. So I literally just watched a video of a guy playing through where he's playing as uh, the WWF wrestler Razor Ramon, <laughs> but like fighting against Mortal Kombat characters. And it's fun because some people actually put a lot of work into it where they actually, you know, make custom animations and the characters have fatalities and stuff like that. And uh, there's a ton of those games. I'm obviously more interested in the Mortal Kombat ones but I know there's just like a shitload. And the other thing that I really like is Open Bore, the Beats of Rage engine. So someone used that and built a Streets of Rage game. I think that was the first one, maybe? It was Streets of Rage. I think they, they called it Beats of Rage, and then that's why it's called Open Bore, I think. But they actually made a really good game. Like, I play it with the arcade stick, and it's called... What the hell is it called? I think it's just called Streets of Rage Ultimate, or just Streets of Rage Open Bore, and it's got all the characters, but it's like the maps from Streets of Rage 2. But the way it plays is great. It's fast, it's responsive, it's actually a lot of fun to play. So to answer your question, yes, I have uh, played Mugen and Open Bore, and they're both really cool. And there's actually some Mortal Kombat Open Bore games as well. So the difference is the Open Bore games are side-scroll beat-em-up games like Streets of Rage and Double Dragon. And there's an amazing He-Man one. There's these people who made a He-Man one, and it's actually really good. The graphics are amazing. Like, it looks like you're looking at the cartoon, and the characters are really big on the screen. It's sort of the feeling I got when I played The Simpsons in the arcade as a kid. Like, you remember, as a kid in the arcade, playing The Simpsons game, it was like, it was, oh, it's like the cartoon. Like, the characters were so big and vibrant and colorful, and, you know, the bosses would, like, zoom into the screen and stuff. And, I mean, now when you play it, it looks horrible. But the He-Man game looks great. And so the He-Man game gives me that same feeling, because the characters are huge on the screen, but at least in this case, the graphics are nice and crisp, so... Anyway, thanks, uh, Pringle, for sending in a message. So let's listen to another track. Got a cool one here from Kibu. That's how you say that, right? K-E-B-U? Kibu? I'm going to say Kibu. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $10 Club, like Lucas Smith and the awesome Luke Jackson. Technically the 10-pound club. And then there's Matthew Lister, Monkey Magics, and Mystic Dink. So I hope you like this. This is Kibu with the track Hope.
right, and that was Hope by Kibu. That's a cool song, and I hope you dug it like my awesome Patreon supporters who I dig, like Poly Digital, Pudnuts, Rama Branch, Skunk Raider, and Slade. And, uh, hey, maybe we should do birthdays. And that was a modern night with the birthday jingle, and we have uh, we have one birthday this week, August the tenth, which I guess is a few days ago now. How about this? I will uh, I will let Mike do the honors because he is, of course, the guy who uh, who made the happy birthday song. How long did it take you to make the happy birthday song, Mike? I watched the introduction to the tower starring Paul Reiser for like a day straight, and then. I let it just soak in my brain for two days, and then I opened up FL Studio, and it took me like 20 minutes to make the beat. Well, let me tell you that it is Argen 1981's birthday a few days ago. Uh, his birthday was on August the 10th, Argen 1981. Argen 1981. How old do you think they are? That's a very good question. Do you think they're a fucking liar? <laughs> This is the kind of birthday message people want. I want to say, like, listen, <laughs> yeah, happy like, birthday, you know, thanks for supporting, and uh, <laughs> are you a fucking liar? He's like, I I was born in 1997, and that's lame. I want to be cool like the 80s ones. 1981 is my birth year. That's good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my uh, fiance's birthday in August. That just happened a few days ago. That's it. I'm using my time for that. <laughs> Happy birthday, Arjun, but not to you, Andy. When's Liz's birthday? August 8th. Happy birthday, Liz! From Andrew <laughs> Last. That's your middle name. What's her birth year? Uh, she's 89. <laughs> 89. High five. 80. Oh, wait. 89 isn't a sex position? Yeah, it is, if you're creative. Well, I guess, like, the two the two circles of the eight could be, like, two heads. So maybe it's, like, a threesome situation where, like, the two heads are there, like, two other people join and you do an 89. Yeah, keep going. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Arjun, happy birthday from the modern night. Shing, shing, sword noises. Wait, is that, uh, are you adopting that character? And if so, what was hoo-ha? It's all, like, kind of just this big, giant mess. <laughs> I should just change my name to Mike Mendoza. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, that won't be hard. <laughs> it will be hard, because I already changed my thing. I already changed. It's a real hassle to change, like, everything you have to a different thing. <laughs> yeah, so if it's a real of- hassle to change everything you have to a different thing. Mike Mendoza, <laughs> so, 2021. Listen, first of all, artists, if you're thinking about changing your name, just think about all the time you have to put into the back end on your social links. Second, invest in Bitcoin, baby, because we're going to the moon. Andy, go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right, look, let's listen to a song, man. All right, I got a cool one here from Galaxy 80, and it's uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters like Thomas Berg, Tristan Waits, Watch Clark, and Will Lowe in the $10 Club. All right, so check this out. This is Galaxy 80 with Never Give Up featuring Michelle Harding.
That was Galaxy 80 with Never Give Up featuring Michelle Harding. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the $10 Club, people like your friend Estevez, Gary Heather, and Stu Triple the M. All right, I got a letter here from Leanne. She says, Hey Andy, hope you're doing well. Love the show, and so I thought it would be fun to ask you a question. I also wanted to say thank you for all you do. I work from home, and your podcast keeps me company whilst I sit in my office working. Not to mention, you're the only podcast that I listen to where the guy's voice doesn't annoy me after a while. LOL! Cheers, dude! Leanne! (laughs) Well, thanks, Leanne. 
Now, Leanne also sent in a voice message, but we're going to listen to that one later because I, I thought it'd be fun to bring a few other people in to uh, answer that question as well. So we are going to move on. So thanks, Leanne. Keep on drawing, and I hope this podcast powers you through some artwork and all of that stuff. And uh, has it actually been a year since we recorded the D&D podcast that I never released? God, I got too many projects. I got too many fucking projects. I talked to Leanne about uh, possibly doing the the art for that. So uh, I guess I got to get on that and edit that too. Holy shit. That's the story of my life is uh, biting off more than I can chew. All right. Got a message here from Newmark. Says, hey, Andy, why is Toronto so foggy right now? Is it the fires out west smoking you out or is Toronto becoming the industrial wasteland of the future? Either way, I hope you are safe from burning or from gangs of mutants trying to steal your water. Speaking of burning, Alpha Chrome Yeo has recently released some track label from his new album, Dead Air. It would be a great honor to hear you play one of them. My favorite is Coffin Full of Cables, but I also really like Dissolver. The choice is yours, so choose wisely, and thank you for continuing to produce such an awesome show. We all appreciate it so much. And then he wrote me back again, saying... Sorry, autocorrect totally botched some grammar in my message. It should read, Speaking of burning, Alpha Chrome Yeo has recently released some fiery tracks from his new album, Dead Air. I severely apologize for the poor grammar, and I hope you are not offended or enraged. Well, Newmark, I am both. So I would officially like to start the hashtag Newmark is cancelled for his uh, grammar. But yeah, man, I think uh, it is because of the wildfires. But I am not in Toronto right now. (laughs) So uh, where I am, the air is relatively clear. Although I think two years ago there was a wildfire on the other side of the province and that smoke reached me in my hometown. I remember it was really weird. Nothing near the craziness that they got in San Francisco last year. Like, you remember when they had those that week where the sky was fucking red and it looked like Blade Runner like someone took some drone footage and just played the Blade Runner music over it and it actually looked like Blade Runner because the sky was orange and like anyway um yeah so look man listen thanks for the message I am currently safe from burning and I will play a song from Alpha Chrome Yayo for you you like coffin full of cables and guess what so do I so let's listen to it it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters Dub Evans IP68 and Zach with the triple seven and here is Alpha Chrome Yayo with coffin full of cables
right, and that was Coffin Full of Cables by Alpha Chrome Yayo. And that was brought to you by my awesome patrons in the donation of the Beast Club. That's the triple six. We got a bashed pudding, Adam Conway, Akio Nakasone, Betadine, Big Baby D, Boris, Caffeinated Pixels, who's the king of the donation of the Beasters, I guess, with the triple nine, and Catpunk. And I got another letter here. This one is from Shadow of the Night. He says, uh, I enjoy the chiptune interviews and tracks and hope the awareness of those artists increases. By the way, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I always liked Street Fighter way more than Mortal Kombat. The fighting just feels clunky and more natural. The fighting just feels clunky and more natural. Hmm. I would love it if there was a game like Mortal Kombat that had the controls of Street Fighter. One last thing. I have already been enjoying Andy's Spaceship and can't wait for more episodes. I watched it at 3 a.m. in the dark after like five rum and cokes and it was really chill. Then I watched it again and I was hungover because I couldn't remember it a lot. Also chill. Peace. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, dude. Uh, if you uh, like Andy's Spaceship, just so you know, I started a new Twitter uh, at Andy Spaceship, and there's a new YouTube page that's going to be exclusively for Andy Spaceship videos going forward, just because I felt like it was a little disorganized having those videos. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of separate, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, and like, the Beyond Synth page already has a bunch of sort of randomness yeah. to the videos that are on there, and Andy Spaceship just adds an extra level of like, why is this posted here? So, I know once I post these things on a new YouTube page, they're all going to get like five views, because that you YouTube page has I think there's one subscriber. I think Joe Wood is my first subscriber because he's a good lad. <laughs> anyway, so um well first of all, Shadow of the Night. I don't think it is an unpopular opinion that you like Street Fighter more than Mortal Kombat. I think maybe no. by listening to this program you might get the impression that more people like Mortal Kombat, but I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Marco, mm -hmm. that the consensus has always been that Street Fighter is the better game, you know, in quotes. I tend to lean that way, too. I agree. I think the general consensus, if you could do such a thing, is generally people prefer Street Fighter, I think. I've always understood that Street Fighter was the better game. I prefer the aesthetic of Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I liked the, the fact that it was like live-action fighters. I liked the blood. I liked the ninjas. I liked the lore of Mortal Kombat. I like that Mortal Kombat has this big, epic, mm -hmm. fantasy, science fiction storyline like that's essentially just for a silly fighting game, but it has this epic story of like realms merging and demons and robots and all these other things. And so, Indeed. as I say, I've always acknowledged that Street Fighter was definitely a deeper game. I mean, essentially, the 2D Mortal Kombat, I mean, you could pretty much just swap characters in and out for each other because everyone had the same moveset. Everyone did the same thing. Yeah. The only... The only difference was some characters have, like, longer legs. So, you know, whatever. So they have a bit more reach. Like, Katana has more reach than Liu Kang. Yeah. I mean, I just had some coffee. I just made a coffee, so I'm, I'm ready for this conversation to go on for a long time. But, <laughs> no, I, I think it is a preference thing. And I think what you're saying is right. Street Fighter came out. Obviously, it was a precursor to Mortal Kombat and a lot of other games, right? But there was a lot of cartoonish-styled graphic fighting games in the 90s. I mean, there was a lot of those type of games. Sure, it stands out as it is a really good fighting game. 
But I think Mortal Kombat stands out more as far as the graphics and the style and everything. It went for something completely different. So it was quite original in that regard. I, I do agree with you. I like I, I, I prefer the, the, the story to it, you know, where it's got this um, other dimensions and, and, and this whole massive thing. It's not just on planet Earth. You know, there's gods and all this other shit involved. Um, and Shang Tsung's are really cool. I, I actually prefer the characters. Shang Tsung, for example, is a really cool character. You know, he really is. I mean, Goro, for Christ's sakes. Mm-hmm. I prefer the controls too, though, you know, like I do. Like, I like the high punch, low punch, high kick, low kick. Even though with Street Fighter, you got six buttons, so you got a little bit more variety of, of what to do, I guess, or potential. I like it that you've got, like, the sweep set up. Back and low kick is sweep. Back and high kick is around us. It just makes sense, you know. It, it flows and it feels natural. As well as the uppercut and, you know, stuff like that. Obviously, the fatalities was a big thing, and mm-hmm. I, I love it. I just love it, you know. I really do. I mean, look, Street Fighter 2, I loved at the time, but as time went on, I think Mortal Kombat way exceeded, for me, what Street Fighter could do. It's the art style thing, because when you go back and look at all, like, the classic fighting games, like, mm. yeah, Street Fighter 2 was, like, the first fighting game. It really was. So it invented the genre, pretty much. Mm. But then you look at all the other ones around that time, you know, you've got, like, fucking... What's the World Warriors fucking... uh, What's the one with the football player? King of Fighters? Yeah, King of Fighters, uh, just as an example, where they all have this sort of, this kind of Capcom-y art style. You know, if you went to the arcade and saw all these games, they all sort of had this samey sort of look to them. They did. And Mortal Kombat just stood out. But I mean, I still, when I played Street Fighter back in the day, I think also... I never really knew what character I liked. Hmm. Like, I used to play as Dalsam. He was good, yeah. I liked him, too. He had, like, the stretchy arms and stuff, but... Yeah, pain in the ass. Just <laughs> <laughs> fucking hit, hit me on the other side of the screen, you bastard. Oh, actually, you know who I played as? <laughs> Blanca. Because fucking Blanca, you could do the thing where you yeah. mashed punch and then he turns electric. Mm-hmm. But look, we got to listen to a song. So how about this one from Axel Drive? Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters with the donation of The Beast, the Triple Six. We got Cenotaph, Christian Quello, Dalton Bell, David Lavelli Jr., Electromechanic, Evan Allen, and Franz Varga. All right, so check it out. This is Axel Drive with Velocity Beach.
And that was Velocity Beach by Axel Drive. And that was brought to you by my awesome PayPals. There's Upgrade Jimpy, the king of the PayPals. And then there's Austin Whetstone, the Rosconian, Brandon Morin, Ross Bruce, Digital Dreams, Gustav Velichek, Dan Williams, Felix Borselman, Russell Nice, Timothy Warwick, Jimmy Groon, and Jersey. And Austin uh, wrote in a message and he says, Andy, greetings from Oklahoma. Keep up the good shit. And then he told me his birthday's at the end of the month and said, hope this year is treating you well. Well, it is, man. And you're a cool guy, Austin Whetstone, so I hope you have a lovely day. And we're reading listener questions today, and I've still got Marco here talking about old Mortal Kombat versus Street Fighter talk. But, you know, I, I, I do honestly believe now that the Mortal Kombat franchise has gotten to that level of depth. Like, I do think the new games mm. are a lot deeper, and they look the best. Because I've downloaded yeah. the demos of, like, all the new fighting games that are available on console. And I honestly think now Mortal Kombat is, like, the pinnacle of, like, I think they look the best. Like, Mortal Kombat 11 mm. looks fucking great. Like, it's a really nice looking game. It really game. does. And yeah. yeah, it does. And I believe it has the depth of, like, a Street Fighter now. Like, all the characters really play much differently than each other. And, uh, mm. you know, all the buttons do different things depending on what character you're using. And the fun guest characters. Like, it is fun to play as, you know, Terminator and RoboCop and shit. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, I don't know, because I've tried to play, like, the new Street Fighter and Soul Calibur Games that I did play in the past for whatever reason. Like, on GameCube, I played Soul Calibur. I do like Soul Calibur, I have to admit, in that regard. I do like that And one. And I enjoyed it, and it was really hilarious, too, just because, like, the girls' outfits in that game. Like, <laughs> they all just have this, these gigantic boobs and, like, these little strings across them and stuff, and they're fighting with swords and shit. That was cool, because I think the GameCube one, you could play as Link and stuff. And I, and I do feel this way about the new Mortal Kombat as well, is I just feel like I enjoy the impact more of the fights. Like I like I feel like the punches, the sound design in the new Mortal Kombat games are really solid. Like the mm. punches sound fat and heavy. It's very cinematic. Like every hit just sounds satisfying. Whereas when I play like a Soul Calibur or like um, Marvel versus Capcom or whatever, the punches make sort of like um, like it doesn't have a bassy weight to the punches. They all sound like. Psh- and there's like sparks and like yellow flashes that happen when the people get punched yeah. and it's very cartoony like there's something just so satisfying about a Mortal Kombat fight when there's just you have a heavy punch sound and then like a fucking splurry of blood happens yeah like big uppercut yeah yeah I know it's got like a bass sound even those old machines you could feel the bass you know what I mean you stand in there and it's like Wah. you know like you really did I know what you mean but I think yeah in the early days definitely Street Fighter was the superior you know game as far as gameplay was concerned and I just think Mortal Kombat just has a beat for the aesthetic and the sound design. Like, I love the music in Mortal Kombat. I like the announcer in Mortal Kombat. Mm. So I think Shao Kahn is a lot more imposing and cool sounding, especially in the early games. Like, uh, Mortal Kombat 2, it just has this deep, cool voice, and you compare that to Street Fighter, Mm. where it's just, you win! Like, it's just, it's not... It doesn't sound cool. Like, when you win the match, it's just, Japan, you know, USSR. Like, it just, it's lame, but, like, in Mortal Kombat, it's just, like, fatality, you know? Like, it's awesome. I think as time went on, it to me, the aesthetic was more for kids stuff for Street Fighter, and, and Mortal Kombat was more... And not to, you know, be like, oh, well, I'm an adult now, you know? I, I just mean, it, it just appealed to me more. I like gore. I like, you know... And I, I think as time went on as well, I, I, for me personally, I tried again. I, tr- I, got, I bought Street Fighter 4 for the PlayStation 3, and it got rave reviews. It was, like, crazy. And I played it, and I was like... 
this isn't that good. I mean, it looks good and everything. The graphics aren't anything special. And the gameplay, I'm like, there's no fatalities. There's no stage fatalities. There's no... I mean, it's just special moves and hits. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I was honestly disappointed. And I really tried. I tried playing with friends. I tried playing on my own. And I always went back to Mortal Kombat. I mean, that's my preference. Wh- whatever. I just don't understand how that game got such a high review. Like, all the sites. It was like 96% and shit. The best fighting game on the system. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, again, that's my personal, even if you don't, you know, I, I, I've posted Mortal Kombat shit all the time on Facebook and people say, ah, you should be playing Street Fighter. I'm like, haha, funny, you know, sure, you know, that's that's your opinion, fine. Mm. Everyone's different, but yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just, Mortal Kombat's just superior, I think. I mean, look, Mortal Kombat has its fair share of shitty characters, but I still think, overwhelmingly, I just prefer the design mm. and mythology of the characters that are in that game. Like, when I play other fighting games, I struggle to find the character that I think is cool, mm. right? Like, when I play Soul Calibur, yeah. I'm like, who's the cool one here? Like, I guess that knight guy is kind of cool, because he's a big knight, and, like, I end up playing as fucking Voldo. He's a gimp, but he's like... Voldo. He's got some trippy moves. But he's, like, interesting looking, you know? And, like, I do that the same thing with Street Fighter, where I'm like, I don't I don't really know who's cool. I don't know. There's just something about the characters that I, I just don't identify with. And then in Mortal Kombat, there's mm. so many I identify with. Like, I like all the ninjas. I like the robots. I like Johnny Cage, his attitude. And especially in the new game, Johnny Cage... They really, like, dialed up his attitude where he's a really funny character to play as. Like, just the things he says when he wins and, like, all his comments and stuff. Like, they're just really fleshed out characters to me. And with Street Fighter, I've just never... I, I just never got into them as characters. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, and, I, and I do hear what you... Exactly. I think that's the problem Soul Calibur does have. I agree with you completely. Like, I really like Soul Calibur, the mechanics, the way the gameplay plays. But you're right. Who's the cool character? There really isn't anybody that stands out. There isn't anybody that's really unique. I mean, okay, you, like <laughs> to come back to Voldo, the character. Every, every time... I've played that game with somebody that doesn't, isn't familiar with the game. Every time they go, what the fuck's going on with that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> that's, there's... That's always the response. I think in Soul Calibur... <laughs> so weird. Because the one I played the most was probably Soul Calibur 2. Yeah. Because that was the one that was on GameCube. And I remember like one of Voldo's outfits was like a gimp outfit with a thong. And you know, he'd come out to the match and sort of like roll. Yeah. And so like he'd roll. So you just see his stupid ass cheeks and he's wearing that weird like, mask with the teeth on it. And you're just like, what's this dude's deal? Like... <laughs> um, fuck, we didn't even read a letter this segment. Look, okay, uh, look, we got to play another song, uh, and then maybe we'll we'll read a letter uh, afterwards here. So here is a cool song from Future Kids, uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters with the donation of The Beast. We got Jean-Christophe Leconte, Joe Esposito, Luke Timmermans, Mike Bailey, Mr. Gimson, Nefas, Nicholas Carl, and Night Ride FM. So check this out. This is The Future Kids with Summer Memories.
right, and that was Summer Memories by the Future Kids. That was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters with the donation of The Beast, Owen Magali, Pooh in an Alleyway, Ross Pentland, Artificial Run the Skyway, Schneedle Woods, and Stephen Field. And I still got Marco here, but we didn't read a letter last segment, so I'm going to read this one here from Mr. Gimpson. He says... Hi, Andy. I don't really have much to say in a letter. I just wanted to put mail sack in the subject line. Keep up the good work, Mr. Gimson. All right. Well, thanks, Mr. Gimson, for the awesome letter. (laughs) Anyway, look, Marco's still here. Uh, They got us talking about fighting games again. Uh, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Soul Calibur. Actually, did you ever play any of, like, the other ones? You know, like the World Heroes or King of Fighters or any of those? I have friends that uh, were obsessed with King of Fighters, and he was real good at it. And and, and I I see why. Like, it was kind of cool when you get good at it. It it is pretty interesting, all those different locations, and just the way you can pick two characters. But it's also just dependent on, too, like, the type of gameplay, because I get Mm. the appeal of, like, you know, Marvel versus Capcom, where you have, like... You know, you're you're fighting with like three characters, and characters are constantly like jumping in and jumping out, and there's a lot of like frenetic stuff happening on screen. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting, but I find for me it's a little too much going on. I feel I have the same problem with Smash Brothers. Yeah, like I can't play Smash Brothers because it's like because you suck. It's too much happening on screen, like just fucking flashes and explosions and lasers like all over the place. I'm just like I, I can't follow it. Yeah, I hear, I hear with that. That's like the old man in me. Tekken and Mortal Kombat were my two favorite series always. Mortal Kombat just ahead probably, but a Tekken I've really liked, and that's kind of got more of the cartoony graphics and stuff, but I really did like Tekken 3, I think. Um, which one was Tag one? I had that on PlayStation. It was so fucking good on the original PlayStation. I, I, I spent so much time playing that. Because I remember that was the big deal. Going to the arcade, and I, and I think there was one arcade I went to where they had Tekken on a giant screen, and it was like 3D, and so that was really impressive. Because I know, like, when Mortal Kombat went 3D with MK4, yeah, that's probably the weakest Mortal Kombat game there is. So, like, Tekken definitely had a head start. Around that stage, I kind of was like, eh, I don't know what's happening with Mortal Kombat, but then they really recovered. I think it was like two or three games. No, maybe it was only one or two that were kind of like... They're 3D, but I don't think it's ready for 3D. kind of looks like shit. You know what I mean? I think my favorite of the 3D, like when they went to console, was the middle one, was Mortal Kombat Deception. Yeah. You had all that extra shit to do, right? Yeah, there was the adventure game in there with Shujinko. It's a terrible game, but like I played it through it because it's hilarious. Like the voice acting and it's just (laughs) terrible. And then they went a little crazy because uh, Mortal Kombat Armageddon had like fucking 80 characters or something. And like that game was just overwhelming. And that's the one that had like the kart racer in it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was very silly. But uh, definitely, like, all the the, the recent ones, Mortal Kombat 9, the reboot, like, in 2011, uh, that game's solid. And all of them since then, I think, have been pretty solid. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if I've talked about this on your show before, and I know we're not trying to talk about it for three hours, but when Mortal Kombat 4 came out in the arcade, this was, like, 98, I think it was, 97, 98. And um, at the time... Australia's censorships are a bit weird, you know, with video games, right? They started getting pretty good with movies and that, but with video games, they didn't have, like, rated R ratings or MA or anything. So what they did was when it came out in the arcade, I remember it was a big deal because they fucking had to put a curtain around it because kids couldn't look at it. That's how crazy it was. <laughs> There's two games that had that. Two games I remember. And my two favorite games at the time was Mortal Kombat 4 and House of the Dead 2. They both had curtains, and you look back now at the graphics, and the and you go and the gore, and you go, really? I mean, come on! Oh, fucking anyway, House, so House of the Dead! Stupid, <laughs> it's like the ridiculous. best voice acting in the oh. world. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it's yeah, so good. So bad. 
So that was a bit of useless information. But, they, yeah, they used to have curtains around it. They did that for a couple of years, and then they, they finally got their shit together and started um, actually having a higher rating, you know, for violent video games like Grand Theft Auto and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and fucking Manhunt. Manhunt came out on PlayStation, and it was out for, like, a few months, right? And I don't understand how a Rockstar game that's well-known, that's got a lot of hype around it, goes past the senses, right? And then... We're all playing it for like three months, and then oh no, we're gonna do a recall on him now. We missed something, and people actually brought the game back. I mean, it was like ridiculous. Why? Just keep yeah. it. You know? <laughs> my friend kept it. He's like, I'm not fucking taking it. What are they gonna do? Come to my house? Anyway, that's how stupid censorship used to be in Australia. Now I think it's a lot better. They've they've got a proper ratings for games and that. I think they're a little bit confused on what to do with it, but. Um, you know. Well, there's Marco's history lesson on uh, censorship and gaming in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how about this? Let's uh, listen to a song. Sounds good. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a cool one here from John Bender. All right. And it's uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the Triple Six Club. The Donation of the Beast. We got Staggered, Trippy, Waylon, Caskey, Geospatial, and Zach, who donates 777, but is also part of the Donation of the Beast, which means I named you twice. And just like Candyman, three times you'll come out of the mirror and kill me. Anyways, here's a cool track from John Bender. This is Online.
right, and that was Online by John Bender from the album Observer. All right, so I got a fun idea here. Um, when I was uh, going to go and record a video interview with Michael Oakley after he was uh, recording footage for his uh, live stream, or his his music... St- what, are you, what are you calling it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I like a a rockumentary live show. Is that is that is that all right? Like a performance arts video. I don't know what 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 you call it. If any name I give it makes it sound pretentious, so just just let's just let's just just call it a live show with some extra stuff. So I went, and then people I asked people to write in questions for Michael Oakley, and of course everyone in my Discord just wrote in joke questions, and so I was like, oh, we'll ask you the joke questions, but then we didn't have time because they were shutting down the studio, and we had about two minutes to record the thing that probably no one will ever see. So I thought it'd be funny to, to bring Michael Oakley on and ask him the questions that I never got around to, and this is the list of all the joke questions, except... That I also said that this show is not going to be two hours long, and we're already a few minutes over two hours. So, I guess this is a teaser for next week. Dum dum dum. As if <laughs> I, I, I want a more dramatic uh, fucking cliffhanger music. Dum dum dum. No, that's the. <laughs> so, somehow that second version had less uh, energy than the first. <laughs> so the point is this: Michael Oakley, are you having a lovely day? I'm having the best day. Best day ever. Tell tell the listeners of Beyond Synth that they have to tune in to next week's show to hear uh, Michael Oakley get grilled with these uh, joke questions. You better listen to that show next week, because if you don't, I'll find you. All right, you hear that? Michael Oakley's going to find you. And until next week, everybody, uh, this is Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And we're going to do fucking part two listener questions and listener emails and voicemails next week. And we'll be joined by Michael Oakley. So that's all very exciting. You can hear in Michael Oakley's voice how excited he is. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.